Beautiful. Beautiful. Last call to lights. Last call to lights. Last call to lights. Uh, let's see. Uh, Rocky Mountain rainbow trout sautéed in butter. La da dee 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 dee. La da da da. Grilled Pacific Coast fish. Uh, lamb chops. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. Uh, let's see, Spanish omelet. Uh, ah, I see they have turtle soup today. I can have my choice of a cup or a tureen. A cold salmon plate from the state of Washington. Lemon mayonnaise, toasted roll. There's a chicken sandwich. Well, I get that back on 6th Avenue. Club sandwich, clubhouse sandwich. Ham salad, tuna salad sandwich, double-deck bacon and tomato sandwich. Uh, listen to this. This is nice. Uh, barbecued spring chicken done in the Wyoming fashion. French fried potatoes, coleslaw, grilled Salisbury steak, fluffy Spanish omelet, French fried shrimp. Uh, let's see. Chef salad bowl. Combination of crisp hearts of lettuce, ripe tomatoes, radishes, and other spring vegetables served thoroughly chilled with shredded baked ham and chicken tossed together with the Union Pacific Chef's own special salad dressing. And then at the bottom it says, uh, of course, there's a lot of other things. For example, there's uh, freshly baked pies, blueberry, cherry, strawberry, rhubarb with uh, aged cheese, cheddar, or a la mode in homemade ice cream. Uh, that's the way they... Uh, <laughs> this is a uh, luncheon menu that I'm reading. I'm sitting in the the uh, observation dome of the dining car on the city of Los Angeles. And we have just passed through Fort Steele, Wyoming. And I'm looking out on the Wyoming countryside with the beautiful fluffy white clouds and uh, the elegant table linen, silverware, glassware. And I'm wondering uh, why in the world we're doing away with this way of life. <laughs> it just really doesn't make much sense. But uh, it's, it's such, a, such a great way of life. And the menu that I just read uh, reads at the top, it says Dome Liner, City of Los Angeles. And uh, down at the, way down at the bottom it says for, for collectors, Demitas cup and saucer sets. An exclusive Union Pacific pattern may be purchased on the train or ordered by mail. They have uh, beautiful special Union Pacific glassware. That's the big UP shield. And uh, the outside of the menu is a picture of the Yellowstone National Park in Wyoming, which isn't too far from here. Riverside Geyser. And uh, we are now passing through uh, a country which uh, is really the heart of the West. This is uh, this is uh, this is the West West. I, I ever since I was a little kid, the, even the word Wyoming has a romantic sound to it. I don't know why. I mean, this is very personal. Uh, Wyoming is a more personal sound, or at least a more romantic personal sound to me than any of the other 
uh, places in the West. You can say uh, Colorado, Utah, those are all West, but somehow Wyoming, it, uh, it's just got a sound to it. And I, I, from the time I was a little kid, I always wanted to go visit Wyoming, and here I am. It's, uh, I, personally, I think Wyoming is the most beautiful state in the Union, at least the most beautiful one that I've seen. Uh, the train is now going through a, a cut, and uh, on each side of the train, these cliffs, sheer cliffs rise, great uh, pink, gray, kind of uh, yellow rock with uh, sagebrush, and it's, uh, what a beautiful cliff that is. Look at, look at the cliff, the cliff high up, there's a bird flying high above us. Uh, these cliffs that we're going through here, it's a its a kind of a cut right through a hill. When they first built the Union Pacific, obviously, they cut right through this area. It must have been a fantastic engineering job in the early days of building the railroad. And you can see that you, you won't get any picture of that. It'll be very disappointing. <laughs> uh, one of the hardest things in the world to take a picture of is a cliff. It... Uh, tends to flatten out in a picture and looks like just a line but uh, the uh, the cliffs are towering above us now I'd say oh a good uh, 300 feet tremendous cliffs straight straight up and these these cliffs this this area because we're right on the overland trail that uh, was used by the early settlers or at least one one this was one of the trails that was used by the settlers and when they got into this country it was a it was kind of a landmark it's getting a little drier now you see as we go further west you can see the uh, the brown just a slight brown is beginning to slow to show through and this used to be tremendous buffalo country here where we're traveling now and if you didn't hear last night's show I'll uh, I'll give you a clue that uh, I'm aboard the city of Los Angeles on one of its very last runs this great train which many many people have traveled on over the past one of the great historic transcontinental trains that uh, built America will be no more this this week the last run will be made and and uh, before that was going to happen I, I kind of made a personal resolution to myself that I was going to ride this train it's the second time I've ridden it, and I even enjoy it more this time than I did the first. The uh, scenery is just never-ending, just just goes on and on outside these broad windows. This beautiful air-conditioned train. Look, uh, there goes a a uh, some kind of a western bird running through the sagebrush off to the <laughs> off to the side of the train here. The thing, uh, of course, you can go on and on and rhapsodize about train travel, which most people will never really experience in their lifetimes. You know, it's, it's hard to believe that in just a few years, uh, if, if you say to somebody that you traveled on a transcontinental train across the country, it, they're going to think you're some ancient old codger. It's like saying, you know, I came west on a stagecoach. <laughs> there must have been a time when, when people couldn't even have, you know, thought that there would be a day when there wouldn't be stagecoaches going across the country. They had this very involved stage system. And here it is now. We're arriving at the end of another great era, which was, of course, the railroad era when uh, people 
would travel from town to town and across the country on these these beautiful trains. This this train is uh, what, of course, what they used to call a streamliner. It uh, it's very very uh, aerodynamically designed, beautiful colors. The Union Pacific color, sort of an orange train trimmed with black. And uh, when it crawls across this uh, vast plain, look look at the the, the tremendous tremendous cliff uh, about uh, it's hard to tell of course hard to judge distances here in the west because everything seems the air is so clear and sharp that everything everything seems a lot closer than it really is but uh, there's a tremendous cliff looks like about a mile away from us here that just marches right along the uh, parallel to the train tremendous cliff it must I would say that cliff must be a good six seven hundred feet high easily and almost sheer and uh, off beyond the cliffs you can see rolling hills going off to the horizon we've been passing through antelope uh, there are a lot of antelope in this area and, and uh, that's something that you don't really see much when you drive across the country because antelope uh, wild game tends to stay away from uh, from turnpikes for obvious reasons and uh, of course the train is nowhere near the uh, turnpike it's it's very isolated all by itself out here in the great prairies and the uh, apparently the antelope have no fear of uh, of the train and we've just been passing through herds of them that just sort of look at us and move on uh yesterday the show if you heard yesterday's show we were uh, just coming into cheyenne well uh this show is is uh, being recorded on the on the leg of the transcontinental trip between Cheyenne and uh, Ogden, Utah. We're on our way to Ogden. And the reason that I'm doing this is that uh, we're filming uh, or actually taping with uh, very modern tape cameras and so forth in, in beautiful color. Uh, <laughs> there's a tough looking railroad man, a hard, grizzled looking man just standing here all by himself watching us go by with his hands on his on his elbow just uh, on his hips just watching us wearing those blue overalls and a big engineer's cap you know it's funny when you get out here in the west the uh, the costuming is, is of course western very railroad oriented too and none of these people wear these costumes for camp purposes so the guys you see wearing the faded blue overalls around here are wearing faded blue overalls because that's what they've always worn all their lives and they look like men who were born to wear faded blue overalls uh, also, uh, you, you notice walking around uh, uh, the streets of Cheyenne and Rollins. By the way, we're just coming into Rollins now. Rollins is a few miles ahead. Uh, you see these big straw 10-gallon hats. Uh, guys uh, with uh, western shirts open to the waist, practically, uh, wearing jeans. And they're not doing it because they think they're hip or anything. That's their clothing. I mean, they, they wear it with as much with as much authority as the average Madison Avenue executive wears his Abercrombie and Fitch weekend sport jacket. I mean, that's his costume. Now, now here's a river right below me, and it's, this river looks right out of a John Wayne movie. You can just see uh, it's one of these flat brown western rivers, beautiful uh, river, and uh, winding through the cottonwood trees off into the hills. And it's, it's the kind of river you can just see John Ford uh, photographing with a big wide screen lens and off in the distance you see Big John Wayne 
with his crowd plunging over the fort, belting their horses across the uh, sandbars. <laughs> it's just got that feeling to it. But the thing that uh, that I, I'm always impressed by uh, seeing the West here is is how many people, and I, and I, it, it's kind of tragic too in a way. Uh, and, I, and I guess in the sense uh, it can't be helped because of the kind of people we are. But how many people who live up and down the eastern seaboard who year after year uh, religiously take their European vacation, they, they uh, hop on the plane and they go to Paris or they go to Rome or they go to London, who have never seen this country, never even thought of seeing it. And uh, I... I uh, I, I just don't know how to answer a thing like that. This is some of the most magnificent country in the world. In fact, I'll give you uh, well, kind of an insight into what this country means to the rest of the world. In many parts of the world, uh, in fact, I, I heard this in India. I've, I've heard people say this to me in Rome. I remember specifically one night in Paris, uh, a guy talking to me about this, that there are people all over the world who would give anything to see the West. You see, they've seen Western movies. They've seen these movies everywhere. No matter where you go in the world, they've seen Westerns. And the country so intrigues them. I'm not talking about the cowboys. I'm talking about the country, the, just the actual land. So intrigues them that they, they would love to come out here and see this. And many of them feel that they'll never, ever get a chance to do it. And yet here we are. Uh, we're only a, comparatively a few hours from this fantastic uh, landscape and very few people that I know actually come out to see it just it's just uh, it's something that uh, I, I uh, you know if, if I had ever mount a campaign any kind of a campaign it would be a kind of population exchange I think that uh, that, that a great uh, government project and it could solve a lot of, I think, solve a lot of the uh, communication problems in our country. Would be if uh, if you were to round up all the citizens of Wyoming, and that are, there aren't many. In case you're curious, there are only 300,000 people living in the entire state. That there are more herds, there are more uh, deer in Wyoming than there are people. This is an actual statistic. And, uh, of course, this is a big game state. and There is more big game, more heads of big game by far than there are people living in the state. Well, I would like to see a system where you could take 600,000, let's say you take 300,000 people uh, from Wyoming and somehow uh, bring them back into, uh, just, just put them on trains or put them on planes and sentence them to two weeks in New York. I mean, you know, it's part of your education. So for, for two weeks, they live on 6th Avenue. And, uh, I mean, ride in, in, I don't mean take them on sightseeing trips. I mean, they have to live in, in New York, just like they're living there, you see. And, uh, you know, I mean, they get an argument with guys in the cab, and they, they fist fight their way aboard uh, the double E train, and they have to stand in line to get the mustard at Nathan's and all that stuff. You know, the whole New York routine. And then when they got back to, to, to Wyoming, they would have a little more of an understanding what is meant by the urban blight and by the problems of the urban life. On the other hand, I would like to take the entire island, the entire borough of Queens, and move it out to Wyoming <laughs> and keep it out here for two weeks. I can imagine the average uh, Bayside resident. Hey, Ma, what, what is that up there? She says, I don't know. It looks like the sky. Look at what is that. The sky has fallen on me. 
Speaking of a falling sky, this is W.O.R. In friendly, good old, where never a discouraging word is heard, New York. Tijuana Smalls It's something new, baby, for you, baby You know who you are It's a little cigar Tijuana Smalls Things that you do, baby, that's you, baby You know who you are It's a little cigar Slim and mild Tobacco that's aged like wine Slim and mild And you know who you are New Tijuana Smalls You don't have to inhale them to like them For you, maybe, you know who you are You know who you are It's a little seagull Poverty, ignorance, pain, hunger, sadness Loss of self-respect Disease, false idols, hate. These are the reasons why people fight. These are also the reasons why the Peace Corps is in Ghana and India and Colombia and 49 other countries. The job of a Peace Corps volunteer is to give people a chance to develop dignity. To give people a chance to know they can do a job well. To give people a chance to be proud to give people a chance at a better life. In short, to give people a chance. This is how the Peace Corps works for peace. Would you like to work for peace? You may be qualified. Write the Peace Corps in Washington for an application. This is Joanne Woodward. If you think some land should be left undisturbed by man, if you feel that clouds should not have to contend for space with smog, that a spring should be able to run free and pure, that a wilderness river should be left alive. If you feel any of these things, help the Sierra Club save the last beautiful parts of America. The Sierra Club, Mills Tower, San Francisco. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting in the observation car. Well, actually, this is a dining, uh, one of the dining cars. What do they call this car? The Dome, the dome Lounge. It's Home Diner. This is the Dome Diner. Thank you, Roscoe. And uh, we're sitting up here, uh, whipping along. We just left Rollins, uh, Wyoming, which is uh, a real western town. They tell me that uh, this is a town where men genuinely are men. And they usually wind up in the maximum security prison back at the hill there, right? Right on the edge of town. And uh, we're way out in the country here. We just passed Rollins, and the train is really getting underway now. And it's between meals, and I thought I'd uh, sit here and chew the fat with Roscoe and Bill and Don, who are in charge of this car. How long you been with the road, Roscoe? Eighteen years. Does it seem like it? No, it slipped by. <laughs> how, you yeah. how do you like riding the trains? I like riding the trains. Lots of fun. Hard work at times, but it's lots of fun. Well, do you feel, do you, you know, when you guys ride back and forth uh, across the country like this, do you get so that you know practically every, every inch of it? Well, we become very, we become, become very familiar with it in uh, different towns, things that have interest us, we remember, 
each each man would remember something else about the trip that is in a, that is that is of interest to him. What kind of people do you meet here on the trains these days? You name it, we got it. <laughs> some are good, some are bad, some are in between. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> so whatever you. Oh, we meet real good people. You know, some have problems. We have to listen to them. They come in and we console them. And uh, some come in and they just the opposite. So you name it, we got them. That's the best I can explain it. Bill, uh, when did when did you start here on the road? Oh, I started in uh, 1942. Let's see, 1942. That was the first year of the war. Yes, it was. So that gives me about 28 years altogether. You carry many troops in those days? Oh, and how? Nothing else. First year I worked over here was nothing but troops. Or what, what were troop trains like, actually? I mean, uh... well, I mean most recruits going to uh, army bases and then we had some returnees and then once in a while I'd get a trip on a civilian train you know that had civilians and the military well how was the train I mean did they it eat was, well on well, them? well they eat well uh, as long as the uh, food lasted see in, in those days everything was rationed and it created quite a problem we served only two meals to the civilians Whereas we had to serve the soldiers three meals, yeah. so it was always a problem of running out of food. Well, did you did did uh, you actually broke in then on troop trains? Yes, I did. Well, now uh, I, I've heard a lot of people say that uh, that just before the war was the heyday of the uh, you know the big railroad trains going cross country. And you did you did you get in on any of that? No, I didn't. I mean, when I got here, it was oh, the war had been in progress about twelve months, so I got in doing the beginning of the war real good. Where do you live now? Los Angeles. Is that where you lived when you started? Yes, I uh, really from Texas, and I uh, moved to Los Angeles. Been out there ever since, no. except for a little military duty myself. Do you, like, do you like riding, uh, do you like this work, this life? Well, yes, I mean, since I've been doing it so long, till it's just become a part of me, I guess. So, uh, when we get home, we stay a certain number of days, and then within ourselves, we know when it's time to go again. You get the itch, or do you, do you figure that it's no, just time? No, <laughs> not, not the idea of getting the itch, it's just time, you know what I mean? You just, just a cycle, you know, just... You realize it's just time. You know, it's funny. Uh, I, I get a feeling of traveling on the train here. I, uh, you guys must have a a sense that time just goes on and on. You must have a funny time sense. It's like you go season after season. That's right. That's what it comes out to be, just about. It's something like being a sailor. Well, I've never been one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean. The, sure. You, you guys see weather and you see the country all the time and... Uh, and uh, do you look upon non-railroad men as civilians? Well, now, that is a good question. Uh, yes, I suppose so. <laughs> you know, in other words, you guys are special people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I've, I've heard it said, Don, maybe you can, maybe you can uh, add something here. I've heard it said that once, once the uh, railroad bug bites you, you can't really do anything else and be happy at it. Well, I'll say this much. When I first started railroading, on my layover, if I'd hear a freight and hear a train whistle, I'd get itchy feet ready to go. <laughs> but in the 
latter years, you know, it's dimmed a little bit because uh, things have changed quite, quite a bit, you know. When did you start on the road? In uh, 1946. Uh-huh. Lady wants to buy a candy bar. We're making a recording, lady. It's in the next in the next car. Okay, it's all right. <laughs> well, when it's like... When I started, it was on troop trains mostly, you know, and we'd get out here. Sometimes we'd be gone 10, 12 days, you know. We'd take a few, take a load here, and drop them, pick up another load, go another direction. You never knew when you are going to get home, so... What is your What does your family think of this type of life? I mean, you know, you guys are gone for days on end. How How long are you gone at a, at a single trip before you get home? Oh, five days. You live on the train? Yes. With the exception of laying over in Chicago for 24 hours. I see. And when we come back, we are home seven nights, you know, six no. nights. It depends on the run you're on. And your family gets adjusted to it. They become aware that you're a professional hobo, and that's it, you know. <laughs> you're on the road. Do they ever? Did they ever ask you about this? Do they ever want to travel with you? Well, I'll tell you, when I had my children were smaller, I had problems. Some years ago, well, in 1948 to be exact, it snowed in Pasadena. And I just came out of a snowbound train, and they woke me up to see the snow. And I was... <laughs> <laughs> Daddy, see plenty of snow. <laughs> hey, you know, that reminds me. What kind of what kind of weather do they get out here in Wyoming in the wintertime when you guys are traveling this it's ride? It's very, very cold and miserable out through here. It, uh, in fact, it hadn't been a month ago we had snow on the ground out here coming across. You mean right, uh, right yeah. in the, here it is... Uh, in August, July. August, July, and, and uh, just a month ago. Now, yeah. when will the snow come down here again? Oh, it's September. It'll, it'll be and then it stays. And it stays. It, uh, well, you don't get too often much snow when it's up high. You get too cold to snow too often much, you know. You ever seen a... Uh, 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 have you ever been involved yourself in a train wreck? Oh, yes. Uh, thank goodness. Not, not real serious, you know. Just uh, had a few shake-ups here and there. Yeah. But you, okay, you learn to live with them, you know. Yeah. You shake it for a trip or two, and then it's all over again. Well, do, uh, you know, there's so much talk of doing away with the railroads. Yeah, that is, doing away with passenger service on this great transcontinental run. Uh, how do you feel about that? I, mean, I think it's a real tragedy. Yeah. And it's, just, it's terrible. There's so many people that like to travel by rail, and they won't have it any other way. And if, if they discontinue the trains, it's going to... Worked a hard shit on a ship on a good lot of people. See? You know, it's a different way of life. You know, I've noticed that that there's two kinds of people. There's the kind of guy that uh, that wants to get from one place to the other absolutely instantaneously, and then there's the other kind who enjoys the traveling. Right. Well, uh, we to give you a perfect example of what you're saying during in the winter times when some of the trains get grounded up in Wyoming and and up in those up in that area. Yeah. They're a different breed when they get on here because they get on here mad. We're, we're the, they blame us for having to be set down, you know, yeah. this, that, and the other. It's just, well, it's... They're a, a different breed. They're not your people. All together. They just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just, there's, a, there's quite a difference. And there's, there's just no satisfied, it seems like, you know. They're unhappy people. They're, uh, they're very unhappy when they get on board and they look like you just can't do anything about it. You can't break can't break the spell. That's know. a very interesting point. In fact, I was talking to one of the people with the crew, you know, that we're filming with, and he said that uh, he'd never traveled cross country. And he said the first six hours on the train, he said he felt very restless. It all wound up, you see. He didn't know 
what to do, and he said all of a sudden he realized that he had to learn how to relax, really learn how to do it. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an art to ride in a train, just like it's an art to work on a train. And it takes, it takes a little bit of effort to be a good passenger, because there will come a time he may have a hot car or you may be something on there that you, that you think you should have that they don't have aboard. It, you know, you, you have to learn to live with these things, you know uh, do you guys do you guys have great train men? In other words, do you know, uh, are there any any train men in in your in your world that are considered great train men? Like uh, you know, like Mickey Mandel is a great ball player. Incidentally, which one of you uh, grew up with? You grew up with Jackie Robinson, didn't you, Roscoe? Yes, I grew up with Jackie Robinson. Where was that? Pasadena, California. Went to school with him. I went to school, Sunday school, and all other schools. <laughs> <laughs> Some school you don't talk about. <laughs> yeah, we we uh, we were real good friends. In fact, we went. We started in kindergarten and went all the way through to the. I went one year in junior college, and he went on. To where did, did you ever play any ball yourself? Oh, a little bit. Most of mine was all sandlot, you know, just for kicks and some darts. Uh, have the hoorah about at the end of the game, you know. But we had, very interesting, we had quite a few teams, championship teams that uh, during the summertime that they couldn't find no one to beat us, you know, and everything. But you must play pretty good ball yourself, then. What'd you play? No, I played right field. Right field? <laughs> that takes a seat. You know, as an old ex-ball player myself, do you, either of you guys play ball at all? I played softball. How about you, Bill? Well, then you'd know that a right fielder is a special type. A right fielder is is uh, usually in, when when kids choose up, the last guy is the right fielder. Right, Roscoe? That's right. That's why I played right field. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the right fielder, he's, he's the guy that either owns the ball or owns the bat. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Roscoe... Uh, do you ever see Do you ever see Jackie at all these days? Oh, I haven't seen him in quite a while. Uh, oh, it's been over two years by me living in Utah. When he comes home, uh, I'll be in Utah, and he'd be there. And then I go into L.A. on a run or something. Then uh, he's gone back home and stuff like that. It's been quite a while since we've seen each other. But uh, Don's brother brought me a message from him the other day. He told, told Don's brother-in-law that tell me how long he asked about me. They were in Spain or somewhere in a golf tournament and Jack had won and he told uh, Don's brother-in-law to tell me how long. After all these years, Jack, he's still winning. Still winning. <laughs> <laughs> he's got good wrists. <laughs> oh yeah, he's a hard loser. He's always been a hard loser. I guess that's what made him a champ. Well, hard losers make real good winners. Mm -hmm. You know, he just goes on and does it. That, has the road changed much since you got on it? Oh yeah, it is. It has really changed. It's uh, the passenger, the crew, the trains have taken off. And when I first started, I was on the Pacific Coast Limited. I ran from Denver to Los Angeles. And then I went up to on the Butte Special, and we ran from Ogden, Utah, up to Butte, Montana. And uh, I don't know. Working a train is just like driving a taxi cab. Every trip is different. Never boring. Mm -mm. Every trip's different. Something happening just like today. Here you are. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> hey, Bill, I wanted to ask you, what's the best train you ever worked on? Well, I the was... The most elegant. This one. 
this train here, uh, this is called the Dome Liner. And uh, when I first started, we had two or three uh, mediocre trains. But this is the most uh, elegant train I ever worked on. I worked on here since 1948. This train, the this city train. of Los Angeles? Yes. Um, How many runs have you made on this uh, trip? Uh, on this trip? Well, do you go all the way out to Chicago? Or? Yes, Los Angeles to Chicago and back to Los Angeles. Well, you've seen this country inside and out. Yes, I have. You've seen houses change? <laughs> yes, well, every trip's different, just like uh, uh, DeVore said, you know, no two trips alike. Well, do you do you ever, uh, when you travel across country here, do you ever get so that you know specific people on the route just by seeing them, you know, their house? And Oh, yes, I mean, especially this one house there as we go into Savannah. This lady's always waved, been waving ever since I've been over here. She's... The same lady. Same lady, I suppose. You know, sometimes we're late, but she's still that away. Savannah? Savannah where? Uh, Illinois. Savannah, Illinois. Right, oh, yeah. right at Mississippi River there. She waves you by every That's day. right. That's right. <laughs> you know, it's uh, that's part of the, I guess, part of the whole train thing that is so different from planes. You ever ridden on a plane cross-country? Oh, yeah. No, not cross-country. Uh, about 800 miles, the longest uh, flight I've had. Well, what do you think's the difference? time element. I mean, uh, well, just like I said, only 800 miles. I was in about an hour and a half where I went. Yeah. So, whereas 800 miles on here would take 16 to 17 hours. That's true, but uh -huh. you, uh, there's a sense of relaxation aboard, though, on this thing. Oh, yes, on this, but it was no relaxation on that plane, I tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, the first flight I had uh, was the emergency flight, so that took something out of it, too, you know. What happened? Well, uh, when we left El Paso, Texas, everything was nice and clear. And so about 30 minutes later, the stewardess announced that we had lost one of the motors, that we were going to make an emergency landing at uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And then she said, uh, we can't make Phoenix. We're going to have to make it at Tucson. So it's just one of those things. Everything came area. Yeah. yeah, there's a little, little tension there. <laughs> <laughs> well, now... Uh, I, I noticed you guys serving here this morning, this afternoon. I'm really impressed with the kind of food you serve for the city of Los Angeles. Yes. Well, I, I bet most people like it, don't they? Yes, we have more compliments than complaints, I'll put it that way. You know, food is good. Yes, they put the top grade of food on here. How many chefs do you have aboard? Well, aboard, we only carry one to a crew. I mean, one to a dining car, but nearby every fellow in that kitchen has worked chef one time or another. Yeah. But since, you know, reduction in forces, they have to probably a second cook or a third cook. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. The first as-is sale in Pontiac history on all new Y-Tracks. Every 1970 Bonneville executive in Catalina is priced to go. And everyone is factory new, equipped as is. So you can drive home a brand new Pontiac right off the floor and get the best year-end deal in Pontiac history. There's never been a better time for moving and you're moving up a lot. What do you do when the music stops? Where are you then? Where are you then? When you drop full blown on all the mountain tops, where are you then, my friend? What do you see when your 
then, my friend. You may think drugs are the answer to all the things you may think are wrong with the world. But with that answer, nothing changes except you. And if too many of you choose that answer, where are we then, my friend? Where are we then? The preceding was brought to you by the National Institute of Mental Health. Trains have always had a curious, very viscero pull on people's imagination. Do you recall when, when they used to have a radio show on the air that used to begin with the sound of a train coming into Grand Central Station? Did you ever hear of a, a radio show about, it was called Grand Central Station, the show itself. The crossroad of a thousand lives. Grand Central Station. You can hear this train. It says it's now passing 125th Street as it roars through the great canyons of the city. And this train is roaring in. Well, trains have always had a curious pull on people's imagination. Now, so have aircraft. But in a very different way. Aircraft, I don't think to most people, in spite of all the commercials, to most people do not represent travel. I think they represent flight, which is not necessarily the same. Flight is an exciting experience, but travel is something else. The train, no matter what you do to it, remains a train. It is a very interesting phenomenon, the train. And I predict, for what it's worth, that by the year 1995, let's see, this is 1970, I would say probably the year 2000 will go even further than that. The train will have had a full-blown renaissance as a means of travel. Do you agree with that? First of all, it's the most civilized form of traveling I've ever done in my life. It is unbelievably civilized. And if you're looking for anything civilizing and civilized, I would suggest that you get out there as fast as you can because within the next year or so, all the great transcontinental trains that we have known in our lifetime will disappear. They will have a renaissance, I'm predicting, by the year 2000, but it's going to be a long hiatus between. Because I think people are becoming more and more interested in the country. And there's no way to see the country better than on a train, I can assure you. If you think it's a car, forget it. I've been driving cross-country in cars for years, and there is no experience like a train. And I, I just found it all out again.